0: Before this episode starts, I just want to say that I do not condone or promote the use of either illegal or legal substances. This episode is purely meant to educate, and nothing discussed today should be attempted or tried by any of the listeners at home. Thank you. All right, welcome back to The Daniel Bass Show. How are you all doing? I know, it's been a minute. I think it's been four months since I've released my last episode which is insane but I am back and I've got a really interesting topic for you all today I think you guys are going to really like it and this is for sure the most research that I've done for an episode but really quickly before we hop into that I do want to quickly mention that if you are interested in collaborating with me on a future episode you can always feel free to dm me either on my instagram or my tiktok which is at Daniel Bass official so again please don't hesitate And with that being said, let's jump right into things. So today we are talking about psychedelics and their potential for becoming a medicine in the future. Yes, you heard me. Psychedelics. I'm talking mushrooms, LSD, DMT, mescaline. These are all examples of classic psychedelics that are infamously known for making you hallucinate and go on a trip. But I wanted to begin this episode with a story, a personal story about why I even started to become interested in this topic. So this story begins when I was watching some videos on YouTube, naturally, and I came across a video, I think it was titled, The War on Drugs Explained, something along those lines. Now at this point, I had briefly heard about the war on drugs, but I didn't really know what it was all about. You know, When I think of war, I think of guns, I think of two nations going head to head. So when I heard about the war on drugs, this kind of confused me, but obviously I quickly learned that it wasn't that type of war. And the video pretty much just explained that there were a lot of misconceptions when it came to many illegal substances. And a lot of what most people think they know about drugs is just not true. But the class of drugs that really caught my eye were psychedelics. And this is because when someone talks about a psychedelic, such as LSD, there's an instant negative connotation. I mean, be honest for a second. What do you think about when you hear the word LSD? Probably something negative just came to your mind. But so many people are not even aware of the medicinal potential that psychedelics such as LSD actually hold. Now, of course, I was very skeptical of all this information that I was learning, so I needed to do my own research before I could believe anything. And to my surprise... The video was actually right. Many things that I thought were common knowledge about drugs such as psychedelics were either only half true or completely false. So I thought I needed to share this information with someone. I needed to talk to someone who I thought would know about psychedelics. And I thought, who's a better candidate than my grandpa? I mean, come on, grew up in the 60s during the hippie movement, you know, in New York, the Bronx. So, you know, he has one of those really thick New York accents, and I thought, hey, he probably knew a lot about psychedelics. So one night, we were having a family dinner, and I asked him, Hey, Grandpa, you were around in the 60s. Did you ever have an encounter with psychedelics? And he told me that he actually always stayed away from them, and he never took them. And when I asked further why why that was, he said his friends had really bad experiences with them, and he said that they could be very dangerous. So again, I asked further and found out that his friends would often take these drugs alone without knowing the dosage that they were even taking. And he said that they never tested their substances to make sure that they were not laced. And when I heard this, these were all very obvious red flags. But I believe that my grandpa was right. Psychedelics can be very dangerous if they are taken incorrectly. The studies I looked at, which I will get into further detail later in the episode, show that if you have a medical professional by your side, and you have the correct dosage, and you made sure the substance was pure and not laced, well, this eliminated nearly all risk. But just because psychedelics have the potential to be dangerous if misused, this doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have any potential at all. I know, this may seem like a foreign concept to many, I've talked to a lot of people who believe that all drugs are bad, every single one, and I used to fall victim to this mentality. Well, until I learned a little bit more. And if you say that you're against all drugs, what if I told you that you are most likely consuming a psychoactive drug every single day? And that drug is caffeine. According to addictioncenter.com, quote, more than 90% of adults regularly drink caffeine in the United States. And, according to Professor Simon Crow at La Trobe University, quote, caffeine is the most commonly used psychoactive drug. Coffee and other caffeinated beverages, such as tea, soft drinks, and energy drinks, access the stimulant, and when taken in large quantities, increase tendencies to hallucinate. Yeah. So if we were to go by the logic that all drugs are bad, well, say goodbye to coffee. Just like psychedelics, caffeine is a drug that is psychoactive and it even has the potential to increase tendencies to hallucinate. Now, of course, psychedelics are much stronger, but when someone says a broad statement such as I am completely against all drugs, they're also pretty much saying that they are completely against any sort of caffeine consumption. So that's the issue with that word, drugs. It's a very broad term, and many people use it in passing. Of course, in moderation, caffeine is perfectly fine to consume, and it even I would say that it provides more benefit overall to society than any sort of harm. But at the end of the day, it is still considered a drug. So the point I'm trying to make here is, make sure to have an open mind, especially when listening to this episode, because I believe that psychedelics, much like caffeine, which are both drugs, may have the potential to better society. And the reason for psychedelics being considered so taboo is because they've often been misrepresented due to people using them incorrectly. So that's all I ask. When listening, have an open mind. All right, so before we really dive deep into things, I also want to mention that there is a lot to unpack with this topic. So this will be part one of many parts that are going to come out in the near future because One episode is not nearly enough to do this topic any sort of justice. I'm going to go way deeper later in the future. So just think of this episode as sort of an introduction episode to the topic of psychedelics. So yeah, let's just get right into it. So as I mentioned earlier, many people for a long time disregarded psychedelics and their potential to act as a medicine. However, we are now starting to see a paradigm shift in how the media and public figures are now portraying these substances. So, for instance, movie stars such as Will Smith and even innovators such as Elon Musk have recently come out and publicly advocated for psychedelics. Elon Musk actually stated in an interview at CodeCon 2021 a few weeks back, quote, I think generally people should be open to psychedelics and... In a recent interview with GQ, Will Smith talked about taking ayahuasca, which is pretty much a psychedelic brew that consists of DMT. And he stated, quote, In my 50-plus years on this planet, this is the unparalleled greatest feeling I've ever had. I mean, even back then, public figures still advocated for psychedelics. However, the public was not as receptive as they are today. One of the most notable examples is Steve Jobs, who reportedly experimented with LSD numerous times. He stated once, quote, Taking LSD was a profound experience, one of the most important things in my life. So, prominent figures in the media have always been advocating for these substances, but how come the public is more receptive now than in the past? Well, first, before we dive into that, let's talk about what psychedelics are. Reading directly from the definition online, psychedelics are a class of hallucinogenic drugs whose primary effect is to trigger non-ordinary states of consciousness via serotonin 2A receptor agonism. Now, in simple terms, psychedelics are substances such as LSD and magic mushrooms, more specifically known as psilocybin mushrooms. Every classic psychedelic, structurally speaking, all closely resemble the hormone serotonin, which is the hormone responsible for a number of tasks, but including stabilizing your mood. And thus, they are able to bind to the same receptors as serotonin in your brain. And as the Google definition stated, these drugs act as agonists, which means that they are able to not only bind to the serotonin receptors, but also activate these receptors and produce a biological response. But unlike serotonin, psychedelics induce hallucinations once they bind to these receptors. So, what I just told you guys was obviously very oversimplified, and scientists only know how psychedelics work to a certain extent, but this is just a good overview of the basics. So now you might be asking yourself a different question, aren't these substances still highly illegal? While they are still illegal on a federal level, many states and cities within the US are now starting to really realize the potential of these substances and decriminalizing psychedelics, and even legalizing them. In fact, in November of 2020, the state of Oregon actually became the first state to make psilocybin mushrooms legal, but only therapeutically. What does this mean? Well, a passage from psychedelicinvest.com states, quote, The measure permits the Oregon Health Authority to establish a program that would allow licensed service providers to prescribe psilocybin products to patients 21 or older the law specifies that consumption be for specific therapeutic purposes and take place under the supervision of a psilocybin service facilitator after undergoing a preparation session. So what this means is that it's not legalized recreationally. You can't just take the mushroom home. You need to be under medical supervision the entire time. Now, speaking specifically about psilocybin mushrooms, how dangerous are they? Well, contrary to popular belief, they are not as dangerous as you might think. If used correctly, that's the key. While there are reports of people developing schizophrenia or substance-induced psychosis from these drugs, this is mostly only seen in extreme cases such as a long-term abuse of these substances or the individual already having a family history of these mental illnesses. But believe it or not, for someone who has no family background of mental illness and is not abusing these substances regularly... Magic Mushrooms are most of the time considered an overall very safe drug. In fact, they are actually considered one of the safest drugs ever, and don't take that from me. According to a 2017 Global Drug Survey, which surveyed over 120,000 people from over 50 countries, Magic Mushrooms were found to be the number one safest recreational drug ever. And something else to mention is that psychedelics are not chemically addictive drugs your body actually develops an immediate tolerance once taken. In fact, they've actually been shown to help cure addiction, most notably when it comes to cigarettes and alcohol addiction. And yet, for some reason, psychedelics are still labeled as a Schedule One substance, which means that they are in the category for the most controlled substances in the U.S., on the same level federally as heroin. Why is this? Well, you might think to yourself, probably an overwhelming amount of people must have died from consuming psychedelics, right? Well, no. According to the official CDC website, in 2019 alone, more than 14,000 people died in the U.S. from heroin use. Guess how many people died directly from psilocybin mushroom use in 2019? Not a single person. And yet they are both just as illegal. Take this quote from drugpolicy.org which talks about the incorrect scheduling of psychedelics. Quote, Psilocybin and psilocin have been listed in Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act since 1970. This is the most heavily criminalized category for drugs considered to have a high potential for abuse and no currently accepted medical use. Though, when it comes to psilocybin, there is significant evidence to the contrary on both counts. There is evidence to the contrary. These drugs are not chemically addictive and they have potential to be used medicinally. So why on earth are they considered a Schedule One substance? Well, the answer to that question may have to do more with politics than genuine health concerns, which I will get into in just a bit. So not only are psychedelics not as dangerous as you might have thought, But studies conducted from various universities, including Johns Hopkins University, as well as New York University, have actually shown psychedelics to help with treating disorders such as depression, anxiety, and PTSD, just to name a few. So now let me give you an example of a study conducted from Johns Hopkins University. So this is a quote taken directly from HopkinsMedicine.org on cigarette smokers undergoing psilocybin mushroom therapy. So it mentions, quote, Johns Hopkins researchers report 15 study participants taking psilocybin achieved an 80% abstinence rate over six months compared to an approximate 35% success rate for patients taking varenicline, which is widely considered to be the most effective smoking cessation drug. So just to put this into perspective, a literal mushroom has a 45% greater success rate than a widely used smoking cessation drug. Now, of course, this was a very small study, and much more research is needed, but this is unheard of. And also something to mention, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA, Bill Wilson, actually believed that tripping on LSD was very useful in helping addicts with their alcohol addiction. The Guardian.com states, quote, Bill Wilson came to believe that LSD could help cynical alcoholics achieve a spiritual awakening and start on the path to recovery. So I just thought that was really interesting that Bill Wilson, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, believed that LSD helped cure addiction. I mean, all of this sounds insane, but it's... There's actual evidence behind it. So now going back to the Johns Hopkins study on cigarette addiction, the following quote is from ScientificAmerican.com, and it talks about researcher Matthew Johnson and his findings. So it states, quote, in a follow up paper, Johnson and his colleagues reported that 67 percent of participants were still abstinent 12 months after their quit date. And 60% of them had not smoked after 16 months or more. I mean, 60%, more than half of the participants did not smoke after 16 months or more. But something even more interesting was, quote, Additionally, more than 85% of the subjects rated their psilocybin trip As one of the five most meaningful and spiritually significant experiences of their lives. So, this mushroom not only has the ability to help fight addiction, but could also provide one of the most meaningful experiences of your life? I mean, this sounds like science fiction. I mean, this is insane. Okay, but now I'm going to read you one more passage from the same article on the potential benefits of psilocybin mushrooms regarding mental health and in cancer patients based on the studies from researcher Roland Griffiths, also from Johns Hopkins University. So it mentions, quote, the researchers published a foundational study in 2006 showing a single dose was safe and could cause sustained positive effects and even mystical experiences. A decade later, they published a randomized double-blind study showing psilocybin significantly decreased depression and anxiety in patients with life-threatening cancer. Each participant underwent two sessions, a high-dose one and a low-dose one, five weeks apart. Six months afterward, about 80% of the patients were still less clinically depressed and anxious than before the treatment. I mean, these are cancer patients, people that unfortunately may lose their lives, and yet somehow psilocybin therapy right from from a mushroom (laughs) was able to relieve 80% of the participants' depression and anxiety even 6 months after the treatment. I mean, this is just amazing, and you may be wondering, how does this happen? How can a mushroom coming straight from the ground cause such profound outcomes? Well, the truth is, we don't really know. Coming from the same article, scientificamerican.com, another passage states, quote, The exact brain mechanism by which the therapy appears to work remains unclear. At the psychological level, Johnson says, There is evidence that the sense of unity and mystical significance many people experience on psilocybin is associated with greater success in quitting and those who take the drug may be better able to deal with cravings. At the biological level, he adds, scientists have hypothesized that psilocybin may alter communication in brain networks, possibly providing more top-down control over the organ's reward system. So, we don't really know how this works, but nonetheless, it's, it's revolutionary. Think about it, the number of people now today struggling with mental health is concerning. Again, coming directly from hopkinsmedicine.org, okay? Quote, an estimated 26% of Americans ages 18 and older, which is about one in four adults, suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. One in four American adults. If that is not alarming, then I'm not sure what is. Now, these metrics that I'm about to read you come straight from the World Health Organization the National Center for Biotechnology Information in weforum.org. Okay, so approximately 280 million people in the world currently suffer from depression. 275 million people suffer from anxiety disorders. And an estimated 354 million adult war survivors suffer from PTSD. I mean, these are insanely large numbers. And our current solution to many of these disorders is to simply prescribe patients with antidepressants. Now, the issue with this is that most antidepressants have actually been shown to have horrible side effects and need to be taken on a regular basis in order for them to be considered effective. An article from the New York Post titled Why You Should Stop Taking Your Antidepressants states, quote, The potential emerging side effects are nothing short of horrifying from suppressed libido and sexual dysfunction, abnormal bleeding, insomnia, migraine, weight gain, and blood sugar imbalances to risk of violent irrational behavior and suicide. Psychedelics very well could be a possible substitute or replacement to antidepressants if taken under medical supervision. According to VeryWellHealth.com, psychedelics may be just as effective as antidepressants as mentioned here. Quote, "Researchers at the Center for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London found that psilocybin may be at least as effective as antidepressants including commonly prescribed selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors in treating moderate to severe depression." I mean again, a mushroom This is just crazy. And the fact that many people are still not willing to even take a second look at these substances with all this research to back them is just very confusing to say the least. And many people also like to turn to the FDA as a source of reliable information. Well, take it directly from the FDA themselves. They labeled psilocybin therapy as a quote, breakthrough therapy for severe depression. I mean... The evidence is there. Psychedelics have the potential to act as a medicine. Don't get me wrong, however. Psychedelics are not perfect, and they can definitely be misused, as they often have been in the past. Speaking of the past, let's now go straight into the history of psychedelics and where this negative stigma around these substances actually originated from. So first off, let's get one thing straight. The idea of ingesting a substance that induces hallucinations in order to act as a medicine is not a new concept by any means. According to maps.org, a leading psychedelic research organization, it was stated, quote, Archaeologists have provided fossil evidence that shows humans have used psychoactive plants for 10,000 years during ritual ceremonies. Psychoactives were important in the development of human society, and there is historical evidence of cultural use over the past 5,000 years. And there are even images online, much like the one from psychedelictimes.com, which actually shows an image of a cave drawing that dates back to approximately 5,000 BC. And the description reads, quote, frescoes of mushroom-holding shamans were depicted in caves on the Tassili Plateau of southeastern Algeria. So although the use of psychedelics as a medicine may seem like a new idea in modern Western society, in reality, these substances have actually been used in ancient cultures for thousands of years. But it was specifically in the 1960s that psychedelics gained immense popularity in the US, but not so much for their benefits. They were given a horrible first impression, and this is where the negative stigma began. But again, context is very important, especially in this scenario. So what I'm about to tell you will show that many drugs during the 60s and 70s that were made illegal were not made illegal mainly due to health concerns, but more based on politics and even racism. But again, let's start from the beginning. Believe it or not, psychedelic research was actually being conducted throughout the 1950s all the way up to the 70s, and the results of these studies were actually very promising. According to BeckleyFoundation.org, quote, It was the 1950s, 60s, and 70s that were to be the most fruitful decades of the 20th century for psychedelic research. Thousands of LSD studies were carried out as researchers looked into its potential as a tool for psychotherapy and its effects on everything from metabolism to time perception to its potency as a tool for combating addiction. So as this research was being conducted, especially during the 60s, The counterculture movement was also starting to erupt in popularity, and here is the issue. Most people in the 60s were abusing these substances and not taking them in a controlled and responsible manner. And if these drugs are not used correctly, there can be detrimental outcomes, including suicide, reckless behavior, and an increase in the risk of a mental disorder. And something unique about these drugs is that their effects on the user are heavily reliant on what's called the set and setting that they are taken in. So set means your current mindset, and setting just means your current surroundings and who you are with at the time. If someone is not in a good place mentally and they take a psychedelic drug, they can have a horrible experience, also known as a bad trip. And the same can be said if someone ingests a psychedelic in an unfamiliar setting with people that they do not trust. Take it from researcher Dr. Ido Hardoxin. Hopefully, I said that right. But he stated in his book discussing the importance of sudden set setting regarding LSD, quote, It acts as a mirror and magnifying glass to its user's state of mind. If the state of mind is anxious, LSD could easily function as an anxiety-inducing drug. If it is creative, then it could equally serve as a creativity enhancer. Should it be spiritual, then spirituality will be enhanced. And in the 1960s, set and setting, although they were mentioned, they were largely ignored, and many people did not follow those guidelines mentioned. So that's what gave psychedelics the negative stigma, the misuse of these substances. People during this time, they wanted to be rebellious, and many of the time, this included neglecting their own personal health in order to convey this message. And as a result, many people injured themselves, and naturally, this did not give the drugs a good name. Psychedelics are also famously known for making you think more creatively and question the world around you. And the entire purpose of the counterculture movement was to separate from society and question the authority of the government. So naturally, many people associated with the counterculture movement also consumed psychedelics. And even famous figures of the time, such as Timothy Leary, was a strong advocate of psychedelics and even developed his own catchphrase, Turn on, tune in, drop out. And this phrase, drop out, could be taken literally, such as drop out of school, or it could mean change, as in don't follow society blindly, you should drop out. Now keep in mind, this counterculture movement took place in the 1960s, and this is the same time that the U.S. was fighting the Vietnam War. And while this may seem insignificant now, having people essentially dropping out of society seemed like the worst possible scenario for the US considering that they were fighting a war. So this led to most psychedelics being outlawed during the 60s and 70s, and in June of 1971, the president at the time, Richard Nixon, declared the war on drugs. But I believe that these decisions were not made based on scientific research, but rather due to politics and even racism. Don't believe me? Well, take it directly from one of President Nixon's top advisors, John Ehrlichman, on why many of these substances were made illegal. You'll even notice in this quote that he even includes race in his explanation for why drugs like heroin were made illegal. So he stated, quote, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or Black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and Blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So a mixture of racism and lying were contributors to making various drugs illegal. I mean, even if I wanted to, I could not show you more straightforward evidence that this decision was not meant to protect the public's health. Now, of course, all of what I just mentioned is oversimplified, and there are many more layers to the history and why these drugs were made illegal, but this decision to outlaw psychedelics halted almost all research for decades. And some even claim that if psychedelics were never made illegal and society had successfully integrated these substances into a normal part of life under a controlled setting, then maybe this skyrocket that we're seeing in depression and anxiety rates maybe wouldn't have happened or maybe would have been much less severe. And of course, these are all opinions, and the truth is, no one knows what would have happened if the war on drugs had never took place. But this just goes to show that not everything is as straightforward as it may seem. Maybe psychedelic drugs aren't completely bad, and they deserve a second look. Maybe they don't deserve to be considered a Schedule 1 substance, especially with the evidence that exists, which shows their potential. Luckily, Today, in the year 2021, we are currently in the midst of another psychedelic renaissance, except this time, unlike the 60s, I hope that things will be different. I hope that the use of psychedelics will be done under medical supervision, just like how it's done in the state of Oregon. As I mentioned earlier, in Oregon, psilocybin is legal, but only under medical supervision, therapeutically, and I believe that that is the correct approach. So to end this episode off, I want to read to you one last quote by Elon Musk, also from his interview at CodeCon 2021. He stated, quote, A lot of people making laws are kind of from a different era. So I think as the new generation gets into political power, I think we will see greater receptivity to the benefits of psychedelics. So yeah, that was part one. But just to give you a little sneak peek for part two, in the next episode, I will go over topics including the potential of MDMA and ketamine, as well as the potential of other psychedelics such as DMT and ayahuasca. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Remember, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram or TikTok if you wanna collaborate or if you just wanna let me know what you thought about the episode. And uh, I'll put my TikTok handle in the podcast description. So with that being said, If you did enjoy today's episode, make sure to follow me on whatever streaming service you are currently listening on and share this with a friend who you think really needs to hear it. Thank you all so, so much and I'll catch you all in the next one.